0: It was probably, I'd say, a quarter of a century ago now. So it was a big night. It was a bar opening of which I was the bar manager. And I was so excited. Months and months of work work had gone into it. I was so dressed up. And at this particular time, which was the 90s, um, it was very cool to have wraparound skirts and it was a wraparound skirt that I was particularly proud of and it you know it pulled over to one side and so I decided in order to get the appropriate line on that skirt I would wear what I refer to as scuba pants now I think they're called spanks, but they're just sort of unpleasant big nana undies but with some serious infrastructure going on <laughs> And and so I had a pair of those on and they probably would have been, you know, uh, it wouldn't have occurred to me to at least make them an attractive colour. So I'm sure they would have been a delightful colour of beige. And But then somehow my brain said it was also a good idea under a wraparound skirt and scuba pants to have what was fashionable then, which was the um the stay up stockings that um had lace around the top and they stayed up on their own because they basically had sort of rubbery gluey stuff on the inside of them this sounds like a very sexy outfit sorry to... <laughs> i looked marvelous until a certain point point. and so it had been a long night we'd all had a gorgeous time it was the opening of a bar so of course everything was flowing and then we headed off from the bar to an infamous Brisbane nightclub, which is still in existence, and I think 20 something still probably do very similar things there these days, um, and... And this was when the Commitments movie was out. So there was all those really big bands around town with trombones and um, lead singers with gravelly voices. And so they were like 12 piece bands and we were blind. It had been a very long evening. And I still thought I looked pretty fabulous. And at one point I was dancing away to the Commitments music. And that's the sort of music that you can really get stuck into. And I looked out at the ground, and there was a button on the ground. And I picked it up and said to my friend, "It's like see a penny, pick it up. So I've seen a button and pick it up. So I'm going to have a really lucky night." And the button was actually attached. To, was used to be attached to my skirt, and it's what kept it up. So I'm still absolutely dancing like a crazy person. And I neglected to mention that there was a boy I particularly liked. Oh, there's there. always, always one of those in these stories. <laughs> Yeah, So, and you know, we were great friends and I was trying to impress him and I think perhaps the outfit had probably even been designed to make him realise that he was really missing out. So I, you know, and, and I was dancing with him at the time and dancing in big groups. I'd say the handbags were probably in a pile in the middle of the floor and we're all dancing and picked up the button, kept dancing. I'm still dancing, and most other people have stopped, and the band has stopped playing. (laughs) Or completely stopped playing, because my skirt was on the floor in a straight line behind me. Oh, Serena. (laughs) It was straight line behind me, and I'm still dancing with my little skinny, I still to this day have skinny chicken legs, and with my little stay up stockings, my grey sort of beige scuba pants, and what, God knows what the top was, I can't recall, but the the skirt was genuinely in a straight line behind me. Not a noise was being made, and everyone just sort of looked at each other for a minute, and I was paralyzed, I didn't know what to do. But my dear friend, who is still a friend of mine today, picked up the skirt, he he decided he needed to address the situation. Picked up the skirt, it went from being a skirt that went sort of mid-calf to um, grabbed it, just tied the whole thing into a knot. So then it ended up being about 15 centimetres long. And I'd say probably still displayed a little bit of the lace stocking underneath. And then, after about four or five minutes, the band stopped. Probably wasn't four or five minutes, but it certainly felt like it. The longest 25 seconds <laughs> of <lie>. your life. <laughs> and just tied it in a little knot. And we just continued.
1: I'm Tori Maguire.
2: I'm Chris Payne. And I'm Chris Harrison.
1: And we are half post humans, and we hope that you are too. This week's episode, as you might have guessed from that amazing story from Serena, is about embarrassment and embarrassment's one of my favorite topics. One of my favorite things to do is tell embarrassing stories about myself because I think it's a good icebreaker. Um, So I'm gonna start by telling one of my own and I think what it demonstrates is that embarrassment is in the eye of the beholder. About um, 17 years ago, I was in my first couple of weeks as a copy kid at News Corporation in the beginning of my journalism career and it was a very important time for me. I really wanted to make a good impression And one of the jobs that copy kids had to do at the newspaper was go and get dinner. And I had to do a dinner run that was quite a long way from the office. And so someone said to me, oh, just call one of the editorial drivers. In those days, newspapers had a a fleet of drivers that would take journos to jobs.
2: Those were the days.
1: They were. And I went around and collected, you know, the $4 each from each journo to go up and do a Luxa run, I think. (laughs) And I called the driver's room and I said, oh, hi, it's Tori here from The Telegraph. I've got to go and do the dinner run. Um, Can I please get a car? And of course that was perfectly normal. And the fella said, yep, I'll be around in five minutes. My name's Barry and I'm in a white Commodore. And I thought, this is all going so well. (laughs) So I went downstairs and I waited out the front and there was a white Commodore. And I walked up and I said to the bloke in in the driver's seat, um, are you Barry? And he said, yeah, I'm Barry. And I said, great, I'm Tori. And I jumped in the passenger seat of the car. And he said, what are you doing? Barry's <laughs> <laughs> not happy. And I, I said, the dinner run, like we've got to pop up to Crown Street and get the dinner. And, he, and he's looked at me and he said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I was initially a bit um, put off by this, but then it clicked that I was the new girl and I was being hazed. Uh, stitch up. <laughs> So I said, yeah, that's hilarious, Barry. Come on, like, they're hungry. The journos are hungry. We've got to get going. And this guy, his face, he, he looked stricken. I thought, God, Barry's doing a good, really good job. <laughs> of this. He's really, he's re- like, he's, he's done really this before. He's, re- he's done this before. And eventually he was like, come on, this is getting really embarrassing. My wife is going to be here in a minute. I'm here to pick her up. And there's a strange woman in my passenger seat. And I thought the only thing I can do right now is to dig my heels in. So I put my seatbelt on <laughs> and I said to him, Barry, I don't know how stupid you think I am. I didn't come down in the last shower. <laughs> That's great. I'm not, you know, I was 24 at the time, which was quite old for a copy kid. So I was like, you know, I'm not one of these naive 18 year olds that you can just trick. You can't fool and me. And this poor guy started to look really, really upset and really nervous. <laughs> and it was just getting out of hand. And eventually a woman walked up and knocked on the door <laughs> and said, who are you? And I said, I'm Tori, why? Who are you? And she said, I'm Barry's wife. (laughs) (laughs) That's gold. And he was not actually a driver from News Corporation at all. So mortified, I got out of the car and then I had to wait for the real Barry. But I was so scared that I was... Like I went back upstairs and rang again and clarified that I was in. Like I got the register of the car because I was so scared about getting in. And then, of course, the first thing I did when I got in the car was tell the real Barry the story. <laughs> so he promptly told everyone on the news
3: corporation. And how long did it take you to live that one down?
1: I'm still not living it down. This I'm, could be a podcast still, about amazing coincidence. I think I might actually be a bit red now telling that story. <laughs> what about you, C paint
3: uh, Speaking of never living things down, my embarrassing story comes from high school, as uh, as they tend to. And um, it's sort of a cliched high school story. It seems like it's out of a movie. I went to an all boys school, 1,250 students, about 100 staff. I'm up on whole school assembly giving a speech about having gone to Japan, which was kind of nerdy to begin with, but you know, there we go. And about halfway through, I was in year 11 at this point, I was a bit of a late bloomer, about halfway through the speech. My voice cracked. My voice (laughs) broke in front of the entire school. And you can just imagine the reaction uh, to it. The headmaster actually had to step up to the microphone (gasps) and ask the boys to calm down while stifling a laugh himself. (laughs) Uh, Straight after assembly is lunchtime and I had to walk through the entire school back to my locker and every single person just let me know about it. (laughs) Uh, This was quite early in year 11 as well. So I still had the best part of two years at the school. Uh, thankfully, most people forgot about it, but one of my classmates brought it up in his final piece of English assessment and said it was the funniest thing that had ever he'd ever seen at the school, which I thought was a little bit sad. For
1: so, him. how do you recover from something like that?
3: Well, I didn't really. Uh, I told <laughs> one of my don't. I told one of my friends from the neighbouring girls' school, and she said. Oh, that's sweet. You know, we'll have to – you're getting there. We'll have to have it – when you finally go through puberty properly, we'll have to have a big party for you. (laughs) So that just uh, made me feel a lot better. You know, it just became a running joke and I just ran with it. And uh, I I made fun of at my own expense and, you know – that tends to be the way out of these things. Well, can I just say it's a beautiful voice, Chris. I'm glad it broke.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Chris? Thank you, Chris. Other Chris?
2: Uh, I, have, uh, I have several embarrassing experiences. The older I get, the more I resemble Mr. Bean. But one that springs to mind, I was having a business class poo on a plane. And, the best uh, kind. And I would forgotten to latch the door. And um, because I'm, sorry, I'm just
1: going to interrupt you here. Yeah. How do you forget to latch the door? On? I'd
2: forgotten to latch the door. I'd woken up from so I was in business class. So I probably slept for the first time in my life on a plane. Okay. And I just forgot to latch the door. And I wasn't, you know, you want to, you don't want to contract, you can contract anything. So I was actually doing like a leg workout and not actually sitting on the porcelain bowl. And the captain came in and opened the door and knocked me right back into the bowl. Um, and I kind of looked up at him and said, "Oh, sorry." And he said, "Oh, I'll come back." And uh I had this run in with this captain whilst staring up at him from the from the basin of a toilet. Um, it was most most, um, most embarrassing at the time. But fortunately, I was in a small cubicle, so it was just between me and the captain.
3: Just, just to let our listeners know, Chris was actually – had hand gestures <laughs> and was really reliving the experience. So Tori and I have a very clear picture of what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, make sure you remember to latch the uh, door when you're having a poo on an aeroplane.
1: Okay, that is good advice. I've spoken to a few people for this podcast, and there's a running theme – in embarrassment. One of them is uh, clothing related. Mishaps like Serena's, and another one is bodily functions, mm. um, just like yours. So, I think we should just this is a good moment to hear from Justine, who's just moved to California and is heavily pregnant and may have actually had a baby between the recording of this podcast and the time we publish it.
4: So, I'm at the end of uh, my pregnancy, and um, I ha- I've read lots of books and information. And um, so, my embarrassing story is something that I kind of knew. To expect but just not when to expect it. Um, I, basically, I, um, I went to a new friend's house that I'd only met twice before through a, a parents group that I'd just joined. Um, and while I was there, my body decided to go through and emptying basically before you're in the preparation of having a baby your body tries to empty itself into the loo. How convenient um, of it. <laughs> I know and I was just not home and I couldn't get home on time and oh so I asked to use her bathroom restroom over where I am um and it basically didn't flush. And I thought, oh, I'll just give it a minute and I'll flush it again, which I did. And then it proceeded to overflow over the toilet bowl onto the tiles. And it wasn't till I had water surrounding me and my shoes standing in my converse that I decided to yell out for help. Um, And I was yelled out, I think I need some help, please come. And she came and uh, swiftly just Called her husband instead, <laughs> um, and then he came too, and it was, you know, we're all brand new friends in the toilet with water spilling everywhere, and yeah, it was
1: incredibly
4: embarrassing.
1: I'm actually cringing, physically <laughs> cringing, listening to this story. That's, that's <laughs> horrifying. What did she say? <laughs> Oh, thank God she was
4: so sweet and so lovely and understanding and um, tried to make me feel better saying that they'd had issues with plumbing before and um, that it's okay and things like that had happened to them and they were so empathetic. But I was just still so embarrassed. I could not believe that 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 had just happened to me.
1: (laughs) So this is quite a recently embarrassing story. A lot of embarrassing stories are from from a long time ago. Do you think you're – Have you already reached the point where you can laugh about it or are you still dying inside when you think about what happened?
4: Oh, it's a bit of both. I think straight away I could see the funny side just because I know and everyone says there's so many things in pregnancy you just have to laugh about. Um, I think many women have all sorts of different stories. So so I'm a bit okay about it, but, yeah, I'm still cringing at the same time. (laughs)
3: When you hear stories of like clothing mishaps and bodily function mishaps, it's kind of everyone's nightmare. And hearing Chris's story about being on a plane reminds me of a time I came back from Bali a few years ago and i contracted quite serious Bali belly on my last day. Uh, it required several injections uh, in places I'd rather not mention on a family podcast and flew home against medical advice. It all went fine. I slept through the flight And then I stepped into the international airport, I was wearing a pair of shorts, very hot in Bali, and then about halfway between the plane and customs, my stomach decided that my shorts were a bathroom, (laughs) uh, and I proceeded to let go while walking. It was extremely embarrassing. I required my girlfriend at the time to run cover. She did it very, very gracefully. She was an absolute champion throughout the whole thing. Um, but we're not longer together, so maybe you know, maybe that had something to do with it.
1: <laughs> that really is embarrassing, though. Like yeah, some embarrassing well, some stories are just your own your own reaction. Like some of my most embarrassing moments. Other people would go, "I don't even know why you were worried about that." Yeah, totally. But I get why you were worried about that.
3: This yeah. was just visual. It was just, I, and I felt terrible as well. Yeah, and it was just it it was not a good experience. <laughs> at least your voice didn't break at the same time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Chris, I think you um, had a rather embarrassing oh. incident that involved clothing or well, lack of clothing yes, yes. and bodily function? I could see. Well, you. not so
2: much bodily functions, just bodily parts. Bodily maintenance. Y- y- yeah. You seem really hesitant to tell the story. Yeah, I'm backing away from the microphone. Um,
1: but you must tell it.
2: I, uh, yeah. I. It was a Friday afternoon, an otherwise unassuming Friday afternoon, and I got home from work expecting the family to be there, because they always are, um, and expecting to play the role of father as soon as I opened the door, but there was an amazing zen of peace in the house. They weren't home yet. So I thought, oh, excellent. I'll just get a few chores done before they get home. One of them was shaving my head. Um, And so I got to work in the bathroom. And after shaving my head, I usually have a shower afterwards. So I kind of started to kill two birds with one stone and um, disrobed for the the experience. (laughs) So I'm shaving my head. Um, with this um, with these clippers and they're about 15 years old so they vibrate rather significantly oh god and um, (laughs) you're supposed to you're supposed to clean them after every use I believe but I I, yeah Um, and so they're vibrating rather significantly and I'm shaving my head and all's going well Um, and then I hear the front door open and I think okay. when the bathroom door's open. Um, and I think, okay, that's fine. It's just the wife and kids. And they've seen me, you know, in this state many times. So, you know, nothing, nothing to see here, just keep going. Um, so I turn the Clippers off though, because I'm a, you know, I'm a pleasant chap and I wanted to greet them and ask them how their day was. So I turned around and I see two kids go past the door, like Formula One cars heading for the television to watch some cartoons. And behind them, I expect to greet my wife, but there in front of me, eyes wide open and drawer on the floor, is our babysitter. And <laughs> there's me. There's me, totally naked, head half-shaved, with this <laughs> vibrating black machine in my right hand. And she didn't quite know what to do, neither did I. The, the, the real problem here is that I'm actually rather bald so on my head. So it doesn't actually look... <laughs> It doesn't actually look like I need a haircut. So she didn't
3: think you were shaving your head, did she?
2: I'm not sure what she thought, but I don't look like I need a haircut. So, like um, when we're talking, when I say I get a haircut, I'm getting rid of like the one millimeter that has grown. Um, so I'm not sure what she thought this vibrating black thing in my right hand was for, and why I was naked, and why I was standing there saying, "Hey, how you doing? How was your day?" <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's it. Ended there.
1: So what? How far forward down the row of potential consequences did your mind flash in this moment?
2: Uh, I saw, yeah, no, I saw it as much worse than it was. But actually, I, I immediately got dressed um, and went out and it actually felt quite sinister, more sinister, because I reached for my wallet and said, so thanks for doing that. How much do we owe you? And she said, oh, just $25. Just so I said, I'm really sorry. I just thought, obviously thought you were my wife. And she said, no, 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 that's okay. And she left fairly soon. Um, and I told my wife about the incident. And she was fine with it. But unfortunately, she texted the um, babysitter's mother and said, I'm sorry about the incident. Oh, God. And... It felt like a Seinfeld episode. Suddenly this thing was called The Incident. <laughs> and I just name. I just saw it travelling around from postcode to postcode. Have you heard
3: about The Incident?
2: Have you heard about The Incident? Anyway, fortunately, I, I, I think that was almost a year ago and I think I got away with it okay.
3: So has she been back?
2: Uh, no, if you see her, ask her how she's doing.
1: <laughs> um, Chris, you're a fully grown human, so I'm nice to give you advice, but there's a common theme in both of those stories, a failure to shut the bathroom door but when you're home alone you like you, <laughs> the
2: business class bathroom is not i know home there is alone. a common theme here you're right i need to close the door behind me it's just you know when you're when you're a father of two and you live in an apartment some peace it's yeah. very rare and i just felt like expressing myself yeah. i suppose
1: i think though that story more than any of the others may go to the purpose in society of the emotion of embarrassment. So I spoke to Dr. Lisa Williams from UNSW, who is a psychologist, and the first thing I asked her is what is the point of us getting embarrassed?
5: So researchers have argued that just like other emotions, embarrassment actually helps us deal with some of the situations that we find ourselves. So in a situation of a social faux pas, what embarrassment does for us is it actually leads us to engage in behaviors that make others forgive us for doing the faux pas. So you can imagine tripping over a wire or something. If you act embarrassed, others are more inclined to so to speak, forgive you for doing that. So it builds empathy. A little bit, yeah. So you can think about um, if you watch someone engage in in one of these kind of social transgressions, uh, you might judge them negatively for it. But embarrassment is kind of the signal that there is a social communication going on. The person acknowledges that they've done something. And then... Basically, social interactions can continue without much impact.
1: So, are there people who don't get embarrassed? I mean, maybe they're sociopaths.
5: <laughs> so, I'm sure um, ability to be embarrassed um, or one's tendency to get embarrassed is tracks other emotions. But we do know that uh, there is there are individual differences in the degree to which someone gets embarrassed. So researchers call this embarrassability. Uh, And at least when you ask people to self-report it, we get a wide range. So some people just at the drop of a pin can feel embarrassed, and others just appear to be quite immune to that experience.
1: I think you can grow out of it, though, can't you? Because I know myself that I had a very low threshold for embarrassment in my teenage years and my early 20s and especially around the workplace maybe i maybe it was because i was so keen to impress the, a lot of the stories that i've recalled for this podcast involve Stuffing up at work in ways that were not that major, but at the time I was so embarrassed and so mortified. There was one incident where I had to do a coffee run for the senior editorial team and I brought back the coffees in one of those um, cardboard trays that has like the little teeth and polystyrene cups. And I pulled the editor-in-chief's coffee out and the bottom stayed in the tray. See? (laughs) I can tell you, yeah, (laughs) Uh, you can understand how mortifying that was in the conference room all over his notebook. And he was very gracious and just said, look, I think it's best if you just, you know, just go. And- I reckon for two weeks after that happened, every time I walked into the building, I thought I was gonna throw up.
5: Yeah, so I think embarrassing experiences are something that for people who experience them acutely are are things that are ruminated about, right? So the reason why we feel embarrassed is that we're worried that others are gonna judge us. So if you've had this really, quote unquote, mortifying experience, it makes sense that you would Chew on it for a while and and think, did that really have a negative effect? In the scheme of things, these types of situations probably don't have a negative effect. And the research suggests that had you shown how embarrassed you were in that situation, that it would probably go fine in the end. As far as age differences go, we do know that the experience of negative emotions altogether decreases with age. We also know that in adolescence, early 20s, we have higher self-consciousness, public self-consciousness in areas that we care about. So it makes sense that in a work context, in early Mm. career days, that you would be really sensitive to situations that might put you at risk for being judged.
1: Yep. Does that explain perhaps why so many stories, when I've asked people, when I've been collecting stories for this podcast, so many of them relate to clothing, um, things going wrong, and some of them are totally mortifying. And then others, like, again, another embarrassing story about myself, which really in hindsight shouldn't have been embarrassing. My first day at work in the Canberra Press Gallery in Canberra, I was wearing very cheap shoes because that was all I could afford. And the sole and heel of one of them all but came away. That has totally happened to me too, (laughs) while teaching. And I had to, I didn't have time to go home and chat. I ended up taping them up with gaffer tape. (laughs) And it was just, it ruined my whole day. I couldn't concentrate. Every time I met someone new, all I could think about was my shoes and the fact that they were clearly judging me for being an idiot.
5: Right. So I think there's something interesting there about kind of things being around clothing. It is one of the most visible ways that we can engage in some sort of transgression, right? The, the infamous skirt. Stuck in the undies type of situation for women, at least. Um, And so these are types of things where you can't necessarily control whether someone Mm -hmm. sees it or not. Another common embarrassment topic is uh, having a really important meeting and just um, forgetting someone's name right at a Mm -hmm. critical moment or going to introduce someone and not knowing their name, right? Because it's a social expectation that you should know somebody's name. So you see a lot of sensitivities around similar themes when you ask people to recall embarrassing episodes. And, and these types of situations come to mind really quickly because they are so acute, because you feel so exposed mm. um, from something happening with your clothing, for instance. Can you try in yourself
1: um, to bring your threshold up a bit so that when embarrassing things happen, you don't completely fall to pieces and lose the plot?
5: I think that a lot of uh, active engagement with your emotions in a moment can control things like that. So if you can take that moment and recognize what's going on and that you feel embarrassed and and own it, as you, mm. as you mentioned earlier... Uh, is a way to get past that and not ruminate on it. And, And the important thing to hold in your back pocket when you feel like it's the mortifying career ending situation is that if you show you're embarrassed, right, if they see you blush and smile sheepishly, that... Really, you're better off than trying to hide it or pretend like nothing happened. Really, that's kind of the worst thing you can do in situations where you might feel embarrassed.
1: That's probably a good time to hear from Jeff and Tori, another Tori, because both of these stories are about mortifying clothing incidents, and both of them dealt with it really well. (laughs) Jeff, you had an incident during a job interview did.
6: I did. Um, probably the biggest and most important job interview of my life where I'd been invited to apply for a job in Hong Kong for the advertising agency I was working for. And, um, so before I went for my interview, I bought a brand new suit and a brand new briefcase and was all feeling very good. Um, and as was my habit before an interview, I went to go to the bathroom before we got underway to make sure I was in good shape. And, um, the new suit that I'd bought was a slightly more complex suit in the fly zipper button area. And anyway, sort of went to the bathroom, came back out, sat down in this, uh, in this gentleman's office and being interviewed and the whole time through the interview, he is looking down at my groin. Basically I'm sitting on a couch with my legs, um, you know, with my knee up on my, my foot up on my knee, you know, a nice relaxed posture. And, um, for some reason, my interviewer just keeps looking down at my groin every 30 seconds, and I'm thinking, okay, this is quite confronting. Um, I wonder if I can look with, if I can work with a man who's uh, who's constantly looking at my groin. Um, but anyway, after about 45 minutes, he finally couldn't contain himself any longer, and he said to me, "I'm sorry, Jeff, but you just need to look down." And sure enough, my fly had been open for the entire interview, and my lucky red undies were proudly on display with the fly completely popped open. <laughs> I can't believe so, you found out from him. I know. I can't believe I didn't take the hint. And what's even funnier, I guess, is that I ended up getting the job in any case. So, um, yeah, it just goes to show. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> sometimes personality can come through.
1: So it's a, it's a story with a happy ending. How, happy about, end. how embarrassing was it? It
6: was pretty, Im- I mean, I did have a bright red bright red undies on because they were my lucky undies, and um and yeah, just it wasn't just open the way you fly sometimes, is because it was a brand new suit. The thing was actually nice and stiff and it was popped right open like a bloody clamshell. so yeah, it was it was a little bit.
1: Maybe it was good positioning, you know, well, showing you know, him it, that you're relaxed and confident. <laughs>
6: Exactly. And, uh, and he was an American gentleman and um, it was, uh, I think Australians have a certain reputation when they go and work overseas for the first time. And I think I basically hit that uh, hit that reputation on the head.
4: So look, this has actually happened twice now, which is extra embarrassing. The first time was actually at the midwinter ball. So everyone is dressed up to the nines. I've gone renegade worn pants, hit the D floor, bam, like almost from the front to the back and what can you do i ran around trying to find people to fix it up couldn't even ran into animal crab in the loose she couldn't help just got about like that for the rest of the night so everyone obviously heard about it and so they weren't that surprised when just a couple of weeks ago it happened again
1: just nice pair of work pants
4: all the way through
1: so what's going on here what's wrong with your pants
4: well, see, the online trolls, right, they're always calling me a bar ask, and I'm starting to think it must be true.
1: The thing that I love, <laughs> though, is that at the midwinter ball, you didn't leave the party because I think a lot of people faced with that kind of embarrassing situation would have fled for the hills.
4: That's absolutely true and they certainly would have avoided the dance floor after that. But no, a couple more champagnes, I was fine.
1: So, Lisa, obviously Jeff and Tori are grown-up people with a lot of confidence who are able to deal with what, a lot of other people would find totally mortifying and they dealt with it at the time and can now laugh about it. You were cringing during those stories. I was cringing during those stories. What's vicarious embarrassment?
5: So just like we can feel embarrassed about our own faux pas, we can also feel live embarrassment as we watch other people engage in those same faux pas. So what's a really interesting finding out of this research on this topic is that the person themselves doesn't need to Don't need to feel embarrassed. So for instance, if you're watching someone perform a song and they think they're amazing, but really they're really bad and cringeworthy, you can feel embarrassed for them. So really this type of, it's not necessarily empathy. You don't necessarily have to be feeling embarrassed along with them, but you can feel embarrassed on their behalf. So a lot of these stories elicit that, right? We cringe, we think about what it would be like if we were in that situation and just how embarrassing that might be. And
1: is that about thinking about ourselves in that situation or is it a sympathy thing?
5: I think it's probably a, a bit of a mix, right? So it certainly has a perspective taking aspect to it, right? And and a lot of us, we hear those stories and we just think, oh my gosh, what would I do, right? I don't think I would get back out on the dance floor. <laughs> uh, and so mixed in with that sense of just how embarrassed you are, you also, when people tell these stories, obviously people tell stories that they've kind of come out Mm. on the better side of, uh, which is an interesting note here, uh, that you're hearing vicarious stories that elicit vicarious embarrassment in us, along with the endings of those stories that suggest that it all works out okay. So there is a good lesson in that, right? We learn a little bit, maybe having your pants split is not the end of the world, Mm. right? It can be okay.
1: So what's the difference between embarrassment and shame?
5: That's a really good question and a topic that researchers in this area have actually debated quite a lot. It it turns out that people, posit a trio of emotions as negative self-conscious emotions, so negative emotions that arise when we ourselves have done something wrong. And so in this trio is embarrassment and guilt and shame. And the most agreed-upon divide is that guilt and shame appear to be really morally tinged. You've done something that violates a moral rule in society. Whereas embarrassment really has much more to do with kind of social rules without the, the moral component. And the circumstances. Right, right. So you wouldn't necessarily feel guilty if you forgot somebody's name, but hmm. you should likely feel guilty if you've stolen something right, right. Yep. is kind of the classic example. And so if you take the type of situation and the meaning making that people go about when they experience this, you can kind of predict whether someone's going to feel one of these morally tinged negative emotions or something along the lines of embarrassment. Mm. And I guess embarrassing stories are funnier than shameful stories. <laughs> they are uh, often they do have these happy endings. Um, and I will say, there's there's something interesting about sharing embarrassing stories. People really do bond over them. Mm,
1: it's a great icebreaker, isn't it?
5: Right, and almost more so than sharing positive stories. So we know that sharing generally positive experiences and telling a funny story is really bonding, but embarrassing stories have this unique aspect Mm. to them, which is they also reveal someone's vulnerability, right? We hear about Jeff and Tori's vulnerability in these stories and that those can actually bring us together with someone even if we don't know them particularly well. So I think that there is a compelling reason why people who are comfortable enough to share a story often do. Mm. and These come up in random conversation and Clearly, you convince these poor souls to share their stories
1: with you. There's there's more embarrassing stories than this on this podcast. I promise. <laughs> I look
5: forward to hearing them all.
1: So, what about the physical symptoms of embarrassment? Why do we blush? Oh,
5: that's actually <laughs> Which another makes highly the
1: embarrassment worse.
5: It does. So that's another highly debated topic. Um, my most up to date understanding is that some people do blush quite a lot uh, when they're embarrassed. Uh, But that there's also a lot of other reasons why we blush. So we blush Mm. in general when attention is drawn on us, right? Even when we're not particularly embarrassed. So some researchers have suggested that the blushing mechanism more has to do with the self being the focus of public attention rather than embarrassment per se. Uh, There are a lot of individual differences in blushing. uh, And I've been vicariously embarrassed on behalf of people watching them talk do it do a public speech mm. for instance and you can just see the kind of blushing growing up there in the neck. To me. And and it even slowly when happens feel across nervous. twenty or thirty minutes. Right. So those individuals yeah. may not actually be consciously experiencing mm. embarrassment or even self consciousness, right? They're really comfortable talking. But physiologically, the what is driving that so called blushing response or the flushing of the skin on the neck and face is kind of happening separately to what, what might be happening Happening consciously. Um, Sometimes when I'm teaching, for instance, in front of students, you have your classic material that you're trying to present and... Occasionally, you break from it and you want to tell a personal anecdote, and I'll find myself partway through an anecdote that isn't embarrassing, but I can just feel my mm. cheeks are bright red. Um, so the tie between blushing and embarrassment is there, but it's not necessarily one to one, right? So some people feel embarrassed and don't blush, and some people blush when they're not embarrassed. So a little, a little bit of a complicated story there. But yep. for people who know they blush and they can just feel it, it does, as you say, adds to the experience, Makes it worse. right? Because then you feel like not only uh, is everyone looking at me because I've done something wrong, now they're also looking at me watching me be Mm. embarrassed. Sorry, blushing. (laughs) Do you have any
1: tips for what to do in that horrifying moment when your pants split or when you feel like your embarrassment is just going to ruin the day for you? How you can bring it back and get to the laughing about it, telling your friends, point,
5: faster. it's a great question. At least in the moment, what the research would suggest is just to allow your your kind of normal reactions to go. So, uh, Dacher Keltner is a social psychologist, and he established this seven-second dynamic cue of embarrassment, and it involves a bit of um, turning your eyes to the side and tucking your chin down and a slight smile. And he finds this, yeah, precisely. <laughs> Sorry for the poor, just did, did that. In the, home. I'm trying it now. In the studio. Um, and so he finds this consistently displayed by people um, across several cultures, across several gender um, groups, and so on and so forth. So there's good evidence that there is this kind of nonverbal expression. And that's the first step to that that process of making things okay. So if anything, I would say, just kind of let that moment, those seven mm. to 10 seconds unroll because chances are your natural embarrass embarrassment display there is really going to help you in that situation. Um, the second bit of advice is, is probably to realize that everybody has been embarrassed, mm. right? And so you do feel on the spot. You feel really self-conscious, right? It, of all of the moments in our lives, these are probably the moments where we feel just utterly on, on the stage. But if you realize that not everyone else in the room is necessarily seeing that it that way, you can get this perspective that makes it to the point that you can laugh about it later. Yep. And maybe in, experience some enhanced bonding with the people you <laughs> yeah, tell the exactly. story to. So it, it can all end up all
1: right. So in the spirit of enhanced bonding, Lisa, have you got any embarrassing stories you'd like to share with HuffPost Humans listeners? <laughs>
5: I anticipated this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the story that popped to mind, uh, I was getting ready for a wedding. With some friends, um, people I didn't know terribly well. I knew I was at the wedding um, due to a, a friend. So, so my friend was getting married. I didn't know her friends. Um, so a room of people I don't really know. And we're just talking about other weddings that we've attended. And someone said, oh, my gosh, I was at this wedding. And, and one of the guests wore white. And it was so weird. And I said, oh, my gosh, who would wear white to a wedding? And the girl to my right goes, I'm wearing white today. <laughs> And I just wanted to die, right? Because I'm just making conversation, and I don't really care if guess where I went to a wedding. But I, I felt really embarrassed in that moment, and I, I left it off. Where I, we all we all joked about it. Right. And I, I made sure to compliment. So her dress later. A pretty quick recovery. <laughs> yes. Yes. So not not one of these totally mortifying mm. clothing faux pas, though it does have to do with clothing.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for joining us.
5: You're very welcome.
1: Well, fellas, I hope you don't feel like you were bullied into telling those embarrassing stories on our embarrassing podcast, but thank you.
3: That's okay. Uh, You know, I've learnt to own my embarrassment now and you have to laugh at your own stories. Yeah. And uh, look, me too, apart from the fact the babysitter is yet to be seen.
2: (laughs) Poor
1: girl. (laughs) M.I.A.
2: Next week, Bella Westaway dives into the complicated and wonderful dynamic that is siblings in the episode, Brothers and Sisters.
3: If you think you're a HuffPost human, send us an email to podcasts at huffingtonpost.com.au. You can subscribe
1: to HuffPost humans in the iTunes store or download individual episodes. Leave us a good review. That would be fantastic. It would be great. And thank you for listening.